Hello and welcome to the latest Mooney on Politics podcast. This one's recorded on Tuesday, May the 11th, as around was it, was 3.45. As usual, this is based on yesterday's broadsheet article, and that one is a look again at the situation within Fianna Fáil, and I kind of tell a story about, I kind of recount an old Soviet-era story, which I used to segue into a discussion of what I think is wrong with Fianna Fáil. I also take a quick look at how I think the Dublin Bay South by-election might play out, though at this point there aren't enough candidates to big start making firm predictions. Anyway, here goes. There's a Soviet-era story that compares the leadership styles of three of its former leaders, Stalin, Khrushchev and Brezhnev. And the story goes like this. The three leaders were sitting in the plush compartment of a the kind of Politburo train, which was heading across the western Siberian plains, heading back to Moscow. Anyway, they're in the middle of nowhere, and the train suddenly halts to a stop. The three leaders send for the train manager, who comes down and tells them that the driver, the co-driver, and the engineers, indeed the entire train crew, have gone out on strike and are refusing to budge. So Stalin turns to Khrushchev and Brezhnev and said, look, I'll deal with this. So he climbs down from the carriage, walks to the front of the train, and starts to berate the crew. But he's barely got a word out when the driver says, look, I'm not interested. I haven't been paid in weeks. I haven't eaten or haven't slept over the last 24 hours. And I've just been told that my brothers have been arrested and sent to one of the gulags by the KGB. So I'm not budging. Stalin warns him, look, you start restart the train, or you're going to be shot. The driver refuses. Stalin draws his pistol and shoots him dead. He then turns to the co-driver and orders him to drive the train. The co-driver says, look, I'm have, my situation's even worse than his, so I'm not budging either. So Stalin looks around, realises he's not going to get any further. He heads back to the compartment, climbs back in and says to the other two leaders, well, look, I've tried everything I know. Leave this to me, says Khrushchev. I know how to handle this. So he throws his coat on, climbs down, goes up to the front where where the co-driver and the the engineers are still gathered and proceeds to deliver a two-hour oration telling them that the future of communism, the future of Marxist-Leninism depends on this train getting to Moscow and they are the key to the future. They will be heroes of the Soviet Union. They will be heroes of the people if they bring the train in. At the end of the address, he looks at them. The boy said, no, we're not budging. Well, Khrushchev turns around, puts his coat back on, gets back onto the train and says to his two companions, well, look, I've tried everything I know. So Stalin and Khrushchev look over to Brezhnev. So Brezhnev sees that they're now depending on him. So he moves into action. He stands up. He walks over to one side of the compartment. He pulls down the blinds. He then walks over to the other side of the compartment and pulls down the blinds. Goes back to his seat and said, let's, let's pretend the train is moving. Now, if you're expecting me at this point to explain why I think Michal Martin is, is Leonard Brezhnev, you're wrong. I don't know who Michal Martin has played for him. He's played by in this scenario. He could be the deputy train manager or the fellow who's looking after the keeping the samovar warm in the dining cart. Whatever it is, it's not a speaking part. No, in this story, the part of Brezhnev is played by the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party. Well, actually, not all of it. Just by that chunk, the fence sitters, the ones who are sitting in the middle. Now, whether that's a third, a quarter of half the party is a matter for speculation. I'm certainly sure it's not a majority. Now, when I say by fence sitters, I mean the ones who are not totally loyal to Michal Martin, 
but are still yet to be convinced of the need for him to go. So instead of coming down on one side or the other, instead of making the tough decision, they've decided, like Brezhnev, to tightly close their eyes and ears to what's going around around them. So are we, pers- are we perhaps seeing some the gentle movement, what they used to call the green shoots, from the Brezhnev wing of the party? I think we might be, especially when you look at the very various leaks that have come out of the last one or two party meetings, parliamentary party meetings. Because it's starting to look as if this previously silent and quiescent band are beginning to speak up and voice the discontent they're finding with the party's performance, especially on housing. They're starting to question why they must carry the can for Fine Gael's past failures while being attacked by Fine Gael. And there's an example of that with Martin Hayden, a Fine Gael junior minister on the week in politics when he turned around and said that housing was a legacy issue and wasn't Fine Gael's problem. That's code for this is Fianna Fáil's problem. Now, having warned a year ago that backing the programme for government would lead to this, I take no comfort in saying I told you so. It was always obvious that Fine Gael was going to try and dump all over Fianna Fáil, no matter who was Taoiseach and who went first. However, the Brezhnev wing of the party backed the deal and they put themselves on the train to nowhere. Thus, Fianna Fáil has now landed with responsibility for the two key policy areas that will not only decide the fate of this government, but actually the shape of our politics for the next decade to come. It, housing and health. And so far, Fianna Fáil and the government are not impressing on either issue. The question here isn't whether the government is looking to the private sector or to the public sector or whether they are backing left-wing or right-wing policies. It's that they're not delivering. Countless families and many not-so-young couples and individuals are crying out for affordable housing and accommodation. They want safe, secure place that they can truly call home, not a treatise on the housing market. Because the one big political lesson that politicians must take from the pandemic is that the public will no longer accept governments claiming that its hands are tied and it cannot act on health, housing, education, public transport or any other issues related to public well-being. Though it has not done everything right during the pandemic, and we know, for example, on what happened in the nursing homes or what happened with contact tracing or what happened with the early vaccination rollout, we have nonetheless seen the enormous power and reach of the state over the last year. Government as an institution can shut down an entire country, close businesses and industries, keep people off the streets and in the houses when it chooses that that is what it wants to do and the public will in large measure go along with it. When it has the political will, it has the reach and capability to do great things. That's what extra law government is about. It's about making choices and taking decisions. And the scale of the problem dictates the scale and radical nature and risk of the remedy. While there may be still a cohort of Fianna Fáilers who hope there will be a vaccine bounce and that voters will return to them after a few weeks of feeling the sun on their backs and will come back thinking more benignly about Stephen Donnelly, Tara O'Brien and Michael Martin. Well, the news for these people is they're wrong. There won't be a bounce. Fianna Fáil's fatal dilemma is not that just that the voters won't feel better disposed to them by the autumn, but rather that those voters will have irrevocably made up their minds about them by then and will not be open to being persuaded otherwise, no matter what radical changes the party makes after that. And let's look at the other side of the equation. It's not that Fine Gael is delivering for its voters any better than Fianna Fáil delivers for its lot. It's that this, t- 
it's that this team of ministers, with the possible exception of the odd green, isn't delivering for anyone. Meanwhile, the Fianna Gael leadership team is content to focus more on messaging and than on delivery, as it believes its core supporters do not see government as been essential to delivering their wants in the way that the free market does. Now, this strategy will be tested to destruction in the upcoming Dublin-based South by-election. Here, Fine Gael has managed, in the space of two years, to go from two seats to one seat and now to no seat. The good voters of Dublin-based South will decide if they want to keep it that way. The party in blue, the Fine Gaelers, have already decided to endorse the fine candidacy of the guy called Councillor James Gagan. He's a decent guy. While ignoring what some might regard as the superior candidacy of the former TD, Kate O'Connell. But the real issue here isn't who Fine Gael runs, it's whether the voters deem Fine Gael's performance in government and Leo Varadkar's leadership in particular as deserving of their endorsement. And they didn't feel inclined to do so in great numbers in February 2020. Now Fianna Fáil has, so, has by-election worries of its own as well. Dublin Bay South is one of the few constituencies where its local TD actually bucked the general election trend in 2020 and increased his vote by almost 2.5%. But Fianna Fáil's problem here is that Jim McCallum is already in the doll, so he can't be the candidate. So, will voting for whoever Fianna Fáil nominates be seen as endorsing the leadership of Michal Martin, or can the candidate get out from the outgoing leader's dark shadow and offer themselves as an O'Callaghan proxy? It's a tough ask, border on the quixotic for those of whoever is chosen. And thus far, only one councillor, Deirdre Conroy, has declared themselves. And that's as of, as I say, Tuesday, May the 11th. Let me make two general predictions about the Fianna Fáil side of the campaign right now. Number one, the Fianna Fáil candidate won't win, it won't be a TD, and is unlikely to be in the top four on the first count. Number two, you won't be seeing many Michal Martin posters or leaflets around the constituency. So looking wider, who can win the by-election? Well, it'll be a foolish pundit who would attempt to put a prediction now without knowing who all the candidates are. However, I will say that if I were a social Democrat, social Democrat supporter, I'd be looking for a candidate with a strong national profile because this is precisely the type of constituency where the social Democrats could make a big breakthrough. That candidate wouldn't have to come first or even second on the first count, but once they're in that top three, or maybe even the top four, and are somewhere in around where the Sinn Féin candidate is, they should be able to soak up transfers and get the votes needed to win, and do so better than the Sinn Féin candidates will do. Though Sinn Féin will, will, without doubt, do well on the first count here. If it isn't a credible Social Democratic candidate, then a candidate from the, then an independent candidate, be it from the centre-left or the centre-right, stands an incredibly good chance of winning. This could potentially include Hazel Chu, if the Greens decide to deny her the run she wants and she goes but as an independent, that would be an incredibly silly thing for the Greens to do. And while I do accept that Claire Byrne, the councillor, is an excellent person and would really make a good TD in time, I would be surprised if the Greens turned their back on Hazel Chew. Either way, when the by-election is over and the results are in, the Brezhnev of wing of Fianna Fáil will have to decide if keeping the blinds down and pretending to themselves that they're heading somewhere is really preferable to finding a fresh driver and a radically improved engine. Now, here's a small postscript. I had considered using this week's column to discuss the Owen Harris saga, but decided against it, as I think enough folks have already piled in on him. I don't know Owen terribly well, but I certainly did used to meet up with him regularly about a decade or so ago, and in the past he said very nice things about me. 
Sad to say, Harris's Twitter sock puppetry was a shameful mess, as was his interview with Sarah McInerney. But just ask yourself, has the outraged response been a little excessive? He clearly did wrong and has paid the price by losing his national pulpit in a Sunday daily and a national Sunday paper. But do we really need to build a virtual pyre and invite all on Sunday to attend to it? Besides, just look at the fun we're going to have. I wonder to think of the fun that we're going to be missing in not having a political contrarian to kick around anymore. Anyway, that's that's, that's this week's podcast. I'll be back next week, hopefully on Tuesday, if not by Wednesday. So in the meantime, keep safe and keep well, and goodbye.